Nearly every nation in the world faces issues around immigration. Globalization and more open borders lead people to move from country to country, not to mention economic unrest and social displacement. Most holy texts talk about welcoming the stranger, meaning the person who is foreign in your land. Yet, in many countries, this stranger is often the victim of nationalism, scapegoating, and othering. Welcome to The Faithful Citizen. I'm Reverend Leah Daughtry, and today we're talking about immigration. to welcome three guests today to join us in this important conversation around immigration, what we need to know and how we can be better informed and better engaged on the issues that are uh, so prevalent in public square. Our first guest is Reverend Noel Anderson, who is the grassroots coordinator for Church World Service, a position shared with the United Church of Christ, where he has developed a national network of faith communities taking action in solidarity with immigrants and refugees. He worked tirelessly with dreamers, and we're gonna talk about what dreamers are, asylum seekers and migrants, as well as faith and activist community to really put a spotlight on the issues and the people, the people that it concerns. We're so happy to have Reverend Anderson with us. And then my sister, Pastor Kaji Dosha, who is the first woman to serve as the senior pastor of her 212-year-old organization, Congregation the Park Avenue Christian Church in Manhattan. Uh, the Park, as it is known in activist circles, is a congregation for fearless activism in New York City. And for the better part of 12 years, this is why she's here today. Besides, she's my good girlfriend. As all, she's also served as chair of the New Sanctuary Coalition, which was founded in 2007 as a grassroots immigrant-led, multi-faith organizations that create support systems and empowers people navigating the immigration system. She has an interesting story to tell about her work and how she's been able to push the immigrant community forward in leadership on the issues that concern them. And finally, we are pleased to welcome Brother Shakuri Shah who has his own interesting and unique, or maybe not so unique, story to tell about his encounter with the immigration and customs enforcement system. He is a father, he is an activist, he is a business owner, the founder and CEO of Transcendence Media. We're gonna hear more about his story and how he came to be, this lifelong American uh, resident came to be engaged in this immigration system. I can't wait for you to hear this story. Reverend Anderson, I'm gonna start with you. Give us the level level set for us, the big issues that we should be thinking about when it comes to immigration. We've been hearing it bandied about in the public square and it's become a sort of shorthand for this otherism and finger pointing and what are, what are we really talking about when we talk about immigrants, dreamers, asylum seekers? What should we be thinking about? Well, thank you again so much for having me on this amazing show. I am a fan and uh, so, so glad to be part of this conversation. 
So when we start to think about where the conversation has come around immigration, it's impossible to to not talk about the issue and, and history of race and racism in this country. Um, when we think about our this country as a nation of immigrants, as many people often reference that, and we think about what's on our Statue of Liberty, bring me your tired and poor, we tend to think about this first generations of Northern European immigrants. And in fact, our immigration system was very biased towards Northern uh, European immigrants and, and forget about the reality of forced migration or, or really what is slavery, people put in slavery brought across this, the, the ocean and how even uh, Irish and uh, were, were considered at one point black because they were Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so really now when we look at why is the border and uh, the way Im immigration is thought of in our now today's politics, it really is a dog whistling and, and race baiting a conversation, a politics of fear uh, and the reality is that deportation policies are failed policies. Uh, our government went in the Central American wars during the Cold War and really stirred up a stir of refugees and political asylum seekers that came. And that's where we really see the, the, the sanctuary movement get going as we know it, even helping people cross, housing people, thousands upon thousands of people throughout the country. Those people were being denied asylum. Well, why? Uh, and so we were able to eventually win some protections for that population. But in the 90s, we saw these huge deportations to Central America. And many of those, uh, uh, many, uh, much of that unrest helped stir the gang violence that we're now seeing in Central America. That gang violence also is, is now mixed with the politics. It's hard to tell the difference between the government structures and the, the corruption in politics and of, of smuggling, of cartels. The reality is a lot of the people fleeing are, in fact, political refugees that are, are fleeing gang violence. And, you know, this issue is only going to grow. Refugees, asylum seekers, uh, and the climate refugees becoming more of an issue, the destabilization of of governments continues, we're seeing in the Syrian civil war, uh, you know, the influx of Africans coming to Europe, but also uh, through Latin America to the U.S.-Mexico border, um, the Haitians that had come through Brazil coming up to the southern Mexico border. And so this is really a global issue. And according to the UNHCR, we have 82 million people displaced right now, 26 million refugees and 48 million internally displaced people. So we have to really start thinking about what kind of, as people of faith, as people who look to our traditions, our scriptures, uh, welcoming uh, the, the stranger in our midst, for we were once strangers in the land of Egypt, as, as people who recognize Matthew 25, 35, that uh, it was the least of these, right? That they provided food, drink, water. That is Christ. How do we see Christ's face in the migrants? So this is a calling of us as people of faith, people of conscience, and we have to look at this issue through a broader lens of how are we going to not just welcome 
immigrants, asylum seekers, refugees, but really deal with the broader issues of racism, racial justice that we need as a country, as a, as a society, as a world, and also we have to address any other issues that, that are interconnected to immigration. It's not one issue, it's let's look at it in the intersectional lens, which I know um, we'll discuss more uh, probably on this show, but in general in our social justice movements. That's really interesting, uh, particularly when you're raising the, the intersection of, of race, because, you know, we, and under recent presidential administration, we were talking about building this wall to keep the immigrants out, right? But we were only talking about building that at the southern border, mm -hmm. when we are connected to a northern border, and no one was talking about a wall along the Canadian border, and okay, so why? <laughs> So the, the, the obvious reason is the one that you've raised, which is the issue of race, uh, nationality, which somehow makes immigrants coming from the South uh, less desirable, more dangerous than those who could easily come. You can walk, I mean, you, you know, you could just walk across and people do it every day. You drive across the border in Canada with, with without, any, um, without any challenges, which brings me to uh, Pastor Kaji, this this idea that when Americans talk about immigration, we're talking about black and brown people. Um, is that right? Is that what the, the statistics tell us about who we're talking about, about immigration? Uh, are there some, pro or are there problematic immigration populations and uh, people that we just turn an eye to? Well, I think that Bishop, First of all, thank you for having us, and I'm just so glad to talk about this with you. But I think that the first thing we have to recognize is that migration happens. People migrate for all kinds of reasons, and we have migration within, and I'm going to start here, within the United States. Gentrification, right, is white migration to places where they can survive because they can't afford where they're living. So that winds up being okay policy-wise, right? But then all of a sudden, we start to see people in other parts of the world who need to make their ways to survival and thriving. And as a Christian, like I believe that when Jesus said that I came to give life and life abundantly, that life abundance is not just for some people and it's certainly not just for white people, it's for everyone. And so with, if somebody is living in a place where they're afraid their children will be kidnapped in, and placed into gangs, as we see through the Central American Triangle, if somebody is living in Haiti, where there was just a head of state assassinated, which is a huge deal. Was that today or yesterday? Yesterday, I think. They are not safe necessarily. And there are many places where people might be, if somebody is living in Yemen or you know, somewhere in certain parts of the Middle East that have become, you know, where temperatures can rise to 120 degrees in a day, they are not safe. I think they have a right to find a path to safety. And maybe we don't talk about that right as something that is legislated, but it is certainly something that people of faith are supposed to acknowledge because welcoming the stranger 
is one of the core values of our of many many faiths uh, across the tradition. So, I am. I want to talk about migration as a perfectly normal thing, and it it, it is. It shouldn't be that just because of where you were born, that determines whether or not you can survive. And, you know, we have Brother Shakuri on the podcast today, and and he is an example of someone who was born a U.S. citizen who is facing deportation to a country he has never lived because of some technicalities in ways that the U.S. has not stood up for him, even though he's a citizen. So this is not about anything about policy. What it te- immigration, as we talk about it, tends to be used, employed as a way to rile up white racism. And it's very effective. And when we fall for it, especially, you know, as a black woman, when we in the black community fall for it, it finds I find myself very disappointed. But it also just means we have a bit more work to do to help people to understand how our core values and tenets, particularly from our faith, require us to show compassion in a different way and not fall for the okey-doke of white supremacy. What what just struck me and as listening to uh, you, uh, Reverend Anderson and Pastor Kaji speak, and we're going to get to uh, Shakuri in a minute, is this from, from a lens of faith, welcoming the stranger, this idea that people need a reason and that some reasons are better than other reasons to welcome people, to allow people to come, to allow people to move in a way that they need to to secure their own lives, seems to me to sort of strike at really the heart of our faith and the idea that God values us equally. So why should we even ask why you're coming? You are seeking this because it's the way that you will make yourselves whole. Uh, And so that just strikes me as this idea of of asylum and people have to have a reason. They must be in danger or they must be, you know, indigent or they must be in persecution. Wouldn't our faith just say they need to, their strength, they need to come. So they, and they want to come to whatever country. So let them come because we value everyone equally. I think that morally we have to take that stance. I think what we're up against is uh, a constituent that is is deeply fooled by a sense of national identity. And that, for, for many, their identity is wrapped up in, in borders and nation-state systems. And that is intertwined to that is the white supremacist ide- ideology. But I think what we have to work towards is and it, there's also the, the the myth of scarcity, the theology of scarcity that's interwoven into all of this. That if more come, there won't be enough for you, and so that is something we have to always push back against. That we believe there is enough for all, and that we believe that everyone belongs. And this is this is a, a fundamental transformation for all of us if we were to get to that point and create policies that actually supported that. And so uh, I think the, 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 it is a complex issue in terms of how 
so many, uh, so much of U.S. foreign policy has actually caused refugees. <laughs> but when we're talking about who we are as a country, who do we want to be as a country? We have to take that stance that all should be welcomed and all that should should be belong should belong, and that we have the capacity to create that environment, that space, that safe space for people to to be part of our communities. And how do we build the kingdom, the kingdom of God that we want to see now? It's also ironic when you really look back across the arc of history and realize that most of the borders that we consider borders these days are borders that were created by colonial powers, uh, disrupting previous people-led, resident-led ideas of where their borders were. You know, think about Africa and these all these these artificial borders now that were created by colonial powers and now that have led to conflict as tribes were divided and clans were divided. And now, you know, and, and Europe, England, France, same thing. And so you have this these colonial powers now saying who can and cannot come when they created these artificial borders uh, to begin with, and then creating these um, these 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 rules, arbitrary, that determine who can come and who can't, uh, and when they can come and, we'll, and when they can't. Uh, and so I, I want to go to Shakuri and Reverend Noel. I know you got to jump because y'all doing real important work over there at the UCC this week. I've seen your rooted in love paraphernalia. I got to order me some. It's good. Is there any last thing you want to share with us about what you're seeing now and trends, how the faith communities are engaging, how people of values can engage, where people can get more information? What, what's your last word to us? Well, I'm actually calling in from a shelter in San Diego, and I'm jumping to a general Senate workshop next. Um, and I've just been so impressed with the way the shelters have responded and, and, and opened their doors for people. But I think what we're hearing, too, is that many within the, the, the state apparatus, such as Border Patrol, are looking to create chaos. They're looking to create an optic of, uh, to try to f create fear and to try to sow this discord amongst us that, that we should hate immigrants for some reason because they're coming to our country to take our resources. And so I think we have to push back against that narrative. So, you know, using the platform like this very podcast, but in our congregations and in our mediums and, and writing the op-eds, trying to shift that narrative, trying to educate people. And I'm just so thankful that you're doing this work and we need to keep doing that work. And uh, the prophetic moral voice on this is so important. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We have to have you back and stretch out a little more on I this. I would love that. Yeah. Great to see you. Thank and you. Thank you. Uh, as Reverend Anderson was talking about arbitrary rules, and uh, I think this is the perfect time to bring in Brother Shakuri, who was born on a U.S. military base in Germany. And y'all know that generally almost always means that you, if you're born on U.S. land in a foreign country, you are a U.S. citizen. 
that has been a uh, uh, from time immemorial. That's the rule. And he has been a resident of New York in the borough of Queens. I'm from the borough of Kings, uh, but the borough of Queens since he was two years old. He was actually declared a U.S. citizen in 2014, and then through a series of unfortunate incidences, he became targeted by ICE and was slaughtered for deportations. An American citizen, slaughtered for deportation. An American citizen, lifelong resident of New York, the great state of New York, suddenly targeted by immigration and customs enforcement. So I want you to hear his story. Uh, he is, as I said at the beginning, a husband, a father, uh, a business owner, an entrepreneur, um, and an activist, Muslim, and we're just so thrilled to have him with us to share with you what the real life impact of these arbitrary uh, laws have been. So Shakuri, tell us, I, I, I kind of outlined the broad brushes. So what's happening now and, and uh, the, Let's, let's just first of all understand, are you safe now or not? What's next for you? Um, and then I want to get into how this has really impacted your life, your business that you're trying to build, uh, and, and uh, your family life as well. Got it, got it. Um, first of all, thank you for um, a much needed conversation on um, a historical dealing with immigration and uh, on the flip side, people okay? And they're not, you know, two people sides of the same point. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just where to start, where to start. It's, um, you know, it, there's just so much there to unpack. Uh, so, so let's let start, start with, are you, safe? are you safe now? Are you, what's um, happening, what's happening? How should we be praying I, now? If I, if I can stretch my uh, leg uh, high enough for the camera to see, I change my ankle. So that's a clear indication that this is an overdose. Um, so I'm, I'm being monitored uh, after seven and a half months of detention at a county jail uh, for allegedly being an alien with a felony. Um, so I've been going to court uh, you know, through um, remote conference at the jail. Um, and the government is adamant that um, I should be deported to, like you said, a country I've never lived in. It wasn't born in. Um, so they've been dragging this out, uh, unwilling to provide documents that could potentially show that their whole case is basic. Um, so now we have an export date set for the 23rd of September. Um, and who knows where they're going to go with this at that point. Um, I've been assigned now, I think this is judge number six. Uh, I don't know why that is. I can only speculate that um, none of them know how to handle this case. It's, um, it's peculiar for a variety of reasons. Um, but this whole thing kind of started um, outside of my purview. Um, so when I was um, 
much younger in my teenage years, uh, I unfortunately was arrested uh, for a felony that led to a conviction. Unjust conviction, but nevertheless, it was a stain on my record. Now, mind you, I was 18 at that time. I am almost 50 years old. And not for a moment did I ever think, hey, I am at jeopardy uh, because I'm not an American citizen. I feel American in almost every way that you can imagine. I I was here since uh, two years old, since two months. My father served as a sergeant at the uh, Air Force Base in Pittsburgh, Germany. He served there for almost two years. And um, my mom came uh, at his final year uh, to stay with him. And that's, that's where I was born, okay? Uh, so when they came back to the States, I came back with them. Uh, they processed me under what he thought was uh, naturalization, which means that you derive your American or U.S. citizenship from your parents. So I've never gave it a second thought since that time. Uh, until on uh, July 6th of last year, I had eight federal agents at my door. And uh, they came in and told me, basically, right in front of my family, we're arresting you uh, for um, immigration charges. And uh, you will have to face a deportation court. So not only can you imagine how unreal that is for <laughs> out of the blue, your life just takes a total 180. And it, 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 it's almost indescribable in terms of um, the, the impact that it has at that moment in time. And so um, they kept me in lockup for over seven months. Um, and despite showing them a uh, birth certificate of where I was born, um, providing documents from the court and uh, docs that, that stated that I was naturalized. Uh, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It seemed to me as if they were basically saying uh, our suspicion that you are not a citizen is sufficient to make you go through this process. And if we can get the judge to okay it, exile you from this country. And they won't give the slightest thought to what that means for a family, what that means for a community, what that means for um, a network of people who I serve, for a Black-owned business. That has no bearing, has no merit. Uh, tearing a person away from their family uh, is everyday business for them. So here they are making this case that, uh, oh yeah, you're not an American citizen. And by the way, uh, 
you're on your way out of here. Uh, based on what? A forged document in which they're alleging that I was born in Haiti. And so this is the only thing that they needed to put in front of a judge to say, hey, uh, give us the blue light so we can put them on a plane. And I find that unbelievable. It's, it's totally absurd that a person's life can be upended regardless of what it is that they've accomplished here, their, their ties or their roots to their communities, um, and then say to them, yeah, well, there's, there's, that's the law. Uh, and that's the way it is, right? So based on the technicality, you know, a person's life can just be totally uh, disrupted, uh, an entire family torn apart without the slightest regard for who the person is. Not once did anybody ever come and interview me and find out who I was. They didn't know a thing. A single thing about me, not what I did, what type of work I did, what school I went to, how long I've been in this, this, this community, not a single uh, uh, communication with my family, my friends, my networks, my supporters, nothing just on a single piece of paper that said you were born in Haiti. And that's, that's all they wanted and that's all that they needed to pursue uh, a stamp of approval from a judge saying that it's not going to be the And we know, Bishop, this isn't happening in white immigrant communities. This isn't happening to our friends from Ireland, my husband from, from the Czech Republic or others. This is happening very specifically when you are asking. This is in Black communities, particularly brown communities, Spanish-speaking communities. Arab communities and so forth. It is very much targeted and very much decided by white supremacist racist policies. And it makes a mockery of the principles that we love to wrap ourselves around with this idea of equal justice, this idea that if you're an American citizen, you somehow have these rights that are not that are uh, inalienable and that, you know, that, that American passport and that those just gets you, unlocks the keys to all the world, right? Well, that's only true um, for, for certain of us. For certain people. You know, I'm concerned that it does feel to me like the, fourth, the 14th Amendment is something that's uh, hanging on by a thread because of the demographic shifts in this country. Uh, Black people think that, you know, we're born here, we can make it right. I mean, Shakuri was born on a U.S. Air Force base in Germany to U.S. citizen parents. You did not get the privileges that we expect. And whenever privileges come up for grabs, the first people to lose them will be Black, of course. So before we go, you talked about the 14th Amendment. Bring everybody up to speed for those who are, who, who are not up on their U.S. Constitution. Uh, what do you mean by the 14th Amendment? So, I mean, for, for those, the, the 14th Amendment took us from being three-fifths of humans, Black Americans, to full humans with full citizenship. So, as we, as we look at the landscape, now, first, uh, Shakuri, I want to 
ask you, uh, and Pastor Kaji, I know you've been doing a lot of work on, on Shakuri's case through New Sanctuary Movement. What can we do for any of us who want to um, help, be supportive, do something? What can we do? What should we be doing to support uh, Brother uh, Shar in, in this case? Shakuri, I, I would let you answer that first. Uh, yeah, definitely. So what, what we've been trying to do um, is to garner support that is strong enough for those in positions of decision uh, in the government to say, oh, okay, that doesn't make sense. You're right. Cancel deportation. It's as easy as that. Um, so uh, what we have now is an uh, open letter to the uh, acting director of ICE to do just that. Cancel the uh, deportation procedure. They used to do it all the time, right? But since, you know, our uh, previous um, uh, uh, presidential uh, guy who's there uh, changed a lot of the regulations and policies that, you know, uh, are there to help administer immigration um, uh, procedures, a lot of those options have been taken off the table. And from what I understand, the Biden administration is trying to put them back on the table so that judges have more discretion. Um, but there's enough discretion there, with or without the previous president, for uh, the people at ICE to say, this case should have never been prosecuted. Okay? Cancel the proceeding. And so what we have is an open letter. Um, you can find it online. Uh, people can sign it. Uh, we're looking for as much support as we can, we can get. It can be found on the, the URL of the website is transcendence.media slash I'm a citizen. Another call here, because I know we have not so much time left um, for Shakuri specifically, is to help to reach out to his Congress people. He has had wonderful support, of course, because she is wonderful from Yvette Clark and, and a few others, but his actual congressperson is Gregory Meeks. Uh, Representative Meeks has not, as far as I know, responded to any of our outreach to try to help this U.S. citizen. So I know, I mean, you probably even, Bishop, but others can, can help him to make, uh, to make these connections. Because the Congress people do, I mean, what is Congress for if they can't protect a U.S. citizen from being deported? So we want to encourage those of you who are listening. I know Congressman Meeks, he's a good stand-up guy, and so I'm sure he will be responsive. I plan to call him. Um, and I think any of you who are listening and watching should reach out to the congressman and let him know this is important to you. And I know him to be responsive. Uh, and I know that he uh, has a, a, a core set of values that would uh, inform him that he should be engaged in this case. So if you don't know Congressman Meeks, number 202-225-3121 is the Capitol Hill uh, operator, and they can connect you to any congressperson. 
Uh, but th that's how you get 202-225-3121 is the house operator. So you can get like that. that uh, <laughs> so well that's how you can engage and be in involved in Shakuri's case and and please know that it's not just Shakuri there are hundreds exactly. thousands of others who are being um held uh unrighteously uh in in opposition to what is US stated policy and law and so this is just one case we wanted to bring to your attention today, but know that there are our immigration policy needs to be addressed and fixed. And that's part of why we wanted to discuss this today on the faithful citizen. Pastor Kaji, I just want to um, give you a, a last word to tell people how they can learn more. What should I do now as a faithful citizen? I think that the best thing to do is to watch the news with helpful and critical eyes to look to organizations here in the city, if you're in New York City or locally, um, to find out who are immigrant-led organizations that are helping to shift the narrative of, um, of who belongs here. And as a person of faith, everyone belongs. And when we in our communities understand that there is no option from a faith perspective to turn someone away who is in a time of need. I think when we preach that from our pulpits, regardless of whether or not we think of ourselves as an immigrant community, when we point to organizations locally, and there are many uh, around the, the country that are doing really important work, when we understand that our Haitian and Jamaican and our Arab and our friends from all over the world are indeed our neighbors who are worthy of protection, then I think we're doing one of the many things that's required of our faith. Excellent. Well, thank you so much to our guests for joining us. Uh, uh, Brother Shakuri, Shar, Pastor Kaji Dosha, we encourage you to follow these issues. And I want to uh, suggest that as you're listening to the news, pay attention to how they're describing immigrants and who are they talking about? Are they talking about all immigrants? Are we talking about immigrants from certain sets of countries? Listen with a sharpened ear around how we are describing people who are coming to this country. And as a nation of immigrants ourselves, some who came willingly, some who came by force, what is our obligation, our responsibility morally to those who come to our borders, uh, seeking assistance, asylum, a better way of life, a better life for their children. What's our moral responsibility? In a nation where we have businesses that make, business owners who make thousands of dollars per second and who pay no taxes, how can we argue that there isn't enough for all of us? And lastly, an old saying that um, came up that I learned in junior high school, there are no strangers. There are only friends we haven't met yet. So thank you for joining us this episode of uh, Faithful Citizen. Thanks to our guests. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Well, that's it for this episode of The Faithful Citizen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Faithful Citizen on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or go on over to our website, www.thefaithfulcitizen.org. Sign up for updates and be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you again. Blessings to you.